Bass Edge Radio. Commence broadcast in three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing. Coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. Aaron, here we are back with more Bass Edge Radio, just passing the longest day of the year. Thank goodness we have more time, more daylight time to listen to Bass Edge. Yeah, longest day generally, though, in my book is every day that I am talking with you, Kurt. No, in all seriousness, <laughs> always, go- always good to be back at the mic. Uh, hey, speaking of which, did you happen to see the picture that I sent you of David Rush down at Lake of the Pines? You bet, man. We posted that on the uh, Bass Edge Facebook page appeared david took a uh, hard strike to a stump or some other hard object under the water but of course he had the uh, megaware keel guard skeg guard in place he pulls the skeg guard off after you see it bent up a little bit and his skeg perfectly fine dude i mean it doesn't get any better than that right it doesn't and it certainly makes us feel good that uh, megaware keel guard been with us since origination since the birth of bass edge all the way back to 2006 and of course we're talking about none other than mega weir keel guard be sure to check them out at keelguard.com you know the interesting thing kurt is that after that happened he went on to catch and i've got to get you this picture went on to catch uh, a little over an eight pounder directly after that happened so you know we talk a lot about mental space and normally you nail a tree you have some what appears to be some damage you don't really know if your skeg's damaged until the end but then you go back out refocus and put another one in the boat yeah well obviously the reason he's able to refocus just because of that skeg garga. Otherwise, he'd been crying the blues because his skeg would have been gone. Yeah, a little further north though, uh, beyond Texas, you were kind of up in the, uh, I'll call it further north, certainly further north than Texas, but you were up at the Potomac in your old stomping ground. I was. Visited the hometown. Did not get to visit anybody, unfortunately. Tournament weeks are just out of control. But, man, I had a great start to the event. I was in third place and uh, feeling real confident. I had two solid groups of uh, fish located, but second day just didn't work out so great. But, um, hey, I cashed a check. Things are good. Requalified to fish the FLW Tour again next year, which wasn't the goal, but it's a great little um, consolation prize. So uh, anyway, made a few bucks, and we're on down the road, man. We got a lot of events coming up. So Yes, um, and speaking of on down the road, we have a great show as always lined up a lot of great tips and today's guest i'm telling you great job on getting him lined up kurt but uh, let's take a quick break and we're going to jump back in on this train of this conversation stay tuned bass edge radio right back Today's ProtectTheHarvest.com tackle tip with Shane LeHue. I would like to just point out to you guys that, you know, an Alabama rig isn't just a wintertime bait. It's also a uh, summertime bait as well. You know, you get some deeper fish out schooled up, and uh, you can slow roll that out. I own a little Alabama rig company. It's called Shane'sBaits.com. You guys can check those out. And typically, line size and stuff like that, you don't need braid. I usually use 20-pound fluorocarbon. helps that bait sink down a little bit. Also, you know, you can catch a bunch of schooling fish on it. It's a great way to have have fun. Like I said, it's not just for the wintertime. Try it out in the summertime and see what you get. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. 
Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Fishing Boats is now the official boat of Bass Edge Radio. Be sure to check out the Nitro Z-Series Performance Fishing Boats. The 2017 lineup features five boats ranging from 17.4 up to 21 foot 2 inches. Two new models for 2017 include the Nitro Z-17, our entry-level bass boat at 17 foot 4 inches and rated for 115 horsepower. The flagship of the Nitro lineup, the Nitro Z-21 at 21.2 in length. Its performance and fishability is unmatched. Designed with input from top elite pros like KVD, Edwin Evers, Rick Klun, and Ott Defoe. Nitro Performance Fishing Boats. Champions aren't born, they're made. Aaron, I mentioned at the top of the show that, uh, man, we just passed up the summer solstice. Explain to Bass Edge listeners what that means for fishing. Come on. What you got? Well, uh, you know, to me, and again, we've talked about it numerous times, generally somebody that has a lot higher education pedigree than me, but to me that means an increased photo period because the days are have been longer. Now we're starting to tail off on the back end of that. Certainly a lot of people are still going to be out deep. There's a lot of night fishing going on just simply because of the heat. Obviously, we know we have a furnace coming down the pipeline with the latter part of July and into August. The other thing to keep in mind, though, remember that fish are not necessarily on that temperature clock like we are, but they're already thinking now that clock and that calendar has turned. At some point in time, those fish are going to start their migration back to right where they came from. So now they're probably deep and eventually they're probably going to move shallower sooner than what the air temperature may allude to. What about you, Kurt? Yeah, I'll tell you one thing that summer solstice means for me is is uh, generally you're into that strong summer pattern. You know, the spawn is obviously completed. Shad spawn is completed even way up north. You know, the smallmouth are probably on their last little cycle of bedding. So um, really into that strong summer. The, the interesting thing is that what we allude to with the winter solstice, the summer solstice is the shortest day period in, in the winter and, and the longest in the summer. But then you still have this heating effect you know the earth is really heated up so you've got several months of warm weather still you know existed and and same thing happens in winter time you know winter solstice sometime in late december i think it's the 22nd or something like that but then the coldest months obviously are typically january and february so you get the same thing going so um, that's when the heart of winter time fishing is january february again that's when we're moving into this summer solstice now the heart of summertime fishing really what a lot of us refer to as dog days of summer so um keep that in mind when when you're out there and you're trying to catch them a certain way how you might need to adjust based on those conditions the lunar phases and that is one of the main ones the solstice period so um just a little bit of tip and info for everybody else out there but talking about tips and info it's hard to go a show without talking about the Bass Blaster and saw a cool video that Jay Kumar put up on the Bass Blaster. If you're not signed up, remember, send a email to BassBlaster at BassGold.com. 
and get the uh, Bass Blaster coming to your email address because recently it was kind of a cool little video. They showed the Yum Dinger and the Cinco and some of the differences that were between the two baits, you know? Yeah, so, you know, Kurt, and what I saw on that, I think you and I should banter a little bit on this because uh, it was interesting, right? They showed how the Dinger is pretty strong, right? We all know that. You get Pulling it off the hook to uh, it lasts quite a while, right? The Cinco has some advantages over on some fall rate, perhaps, is, is what the video would suggest. I was really taken back by all the comments that were on there. You know, you had a lot of people weighing in on that, and I think that kind of discussion and that kind of banter is good. Well, let me just point blank ask you. I'm going to put you on the spot here. What is your preference? Well, you know, like any expert, you know, you you, you know, like I try to be in bass fishing, you, you look at the advantages and disadvantages of each one. For example, the dinger has less salt so its fall rate is slower so if i'm fishing some very shallow cover i want to be able to have that bait kind of hover in that strike zone a little bit longer a yum dinger is going to help me do that because the senko has a lot of salt its fall rate is much faster i do believe that the senko has a much better action as it's falling the key to both of these baits is to try not to impart its own action because they have their own built-in action. So I don't think there's a right choice for all applications. I think there's a specific application where the dinger works really well. I think there's a specific application with the Senko that works really well, and that's why my boat weighs like 500 pounds of plastic. I hear hear you. I hear you. And I I, I agree with you. I I will say my preference is going to be generally, if I'm wacky rigging, and there is that deeper type, maybe where the fish are holding in that six, eight foot range, and I'm wanting that to kind of go down, and I just think the action of that Senko going through is very, very hard to resist in those particular, and I think you said the keyword, those particular applications. But one thing I will tell you, the Ned Rig, right? I throw that quite a bit. The Yum Dinger, that's the one I'm going to that I'm cutting it in half, putting it on that 16th ounce jig head because you can't tear it apart. And when you super glue that on there, you know, it is really soft. It's very pliable. Well, you're catching so many fish generally on the Ned Rig. Man, it gets expensive if I'm cutting Cinco's and doing that with. Well, it's probably also a little bit more buoyant because, you know, the reasons we Absolutely. talked earlier, it's got less salt. So it's going to kind of have a more lively action when you put it on that type of jig head. So, yeah, you look at a question like that in fishing and you think, oh, well, that's an easy answer. Some people are going to say X and some say Y just because they're brand oriented or whatever. But really, when you dive into it, there's so many crazy factors to consider and why a bait is particularly good in one situation and another bait works a little bit better (laughs) in a different situation. So uh, be sure to um, analyze what's the best process for all types of lures, all types of different techniques. And, um, you know, that's again, what Bass Blaster is so great at is just giving you some of those little tips while you're at work, while you're at play. You can just check out the different videos and information that Jay is providing out there. It's just more entertainment. It's a lot of fun with Good Bass stuff. Blaster. That's why we do what we do. Well, I'll tell you what. We are going to move right into an interview with a guy that we had on here not too long ago. Well, I, I guess it has been. <laughs> Every show doesn't seem too long ago, but we've been doing this for so many years. But uh, we've got Fletcher Shryock, Ready Key up on the phone. He's going to talk about some major league fishing success. Everybody's seen him punch that grass at Lake Ufala, right? We're going to talk about that and all kinds of other great tips and tactics coming to you soon right here on the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight with Bass Edge Radio. 
Hi, I'm Bass Pro Shops angler Casey Scanlon. I'm Major League Fishing Pro Kelly Jordan. This is BASS Elite Champion Dustin Connell. This is FLW Tour Pro Shane LaHue. Hanging here on Bass Edge Radio. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Looking forward to chat today with a returning guest in our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. This Major League Fishing Selects Angler and BASS Elite Pro has been on a really good little run as of late. Fletcher, welcome back to Bass Edge Radio. Hey guys, thank you for having me back on. I really appreciate it. Well, we're glad to have you and certainly for most of the general public out there, everybody is familiar with Major League Fishing and they have seen your recent accomplishments. Several select wins, then just a few weeks ago, a near cup victory down at Lake Eufaula. Tell us about what this success means for you personally, but maybe more important, where your skill set is progressing into. Yeah, it was really cool to have that run last year in Major League Fishing, and uh, it's kind of funny, something I haven't talked too much about. Like I've kind of made a lifestyle change, I guess, of maybe two, two and a half years ago uh, with my girlfriend Rose, and we started actually... Uh, she started traveling with me, and we started carrying a fifth wheel on the road. So basically, we've lived the fishing life the last two, two and a half years. I think I'm finally starting to see the results of that come out. Is, is kind of how I'm looking at it. So it feels like the you know the ball's starting to roll now, and to roll into the major league fishing format and do really well on that stuff. You know, and, and as well as on the elite series, things are a lot better than where they were for me. And I just can relate that directly to the fact that we're living this new lifestyle now, putting fishing and results first. And it's cool to see that start to come out and show. You bet, man. It's always great when you make kind of a life change, really, and then and then able to reap the rewards out of that um, commitment that you both have made. I know it's, it's not easy for the angler, but it's uh, often even tougher for the uh, significant other of the angler. And Rose certainly is probably happy to uh, be seeing her difficulty going through this as well, be very very pleasant because you guys are having so much success together. So that's uh, definitely awesome to hear. Fletcher, your your Elite Series AOI placement, you referred to it there just a moment ago. You're on the verge making your second classic. You've got a few events left this year. You're sitting pretty well in the AOI standings. You are going into some northern waters to close the season. Kind of familiar for you, you know, being from Ohio, catching those smallmouth. That was kind of a big part of our interview that we had with you almost two years ago. How do you prepare for this final push to hopefully clinch that second classic berth you know in the last three rounds it's obviously going to be a big smallmouth deal and i'm trying to not get too overconfident with it i have not had the best success on the st lawrence river actually that's the one i'm really worried about getting over the hump there and uh that one i've spent a lot of time trying to figure out what i'm going to do different but what's funny about that event is it's a lot different this year because the water's so high. So that's the one I really see as the challenge. Hopefully when we get to St. Clair, you know, the conditions are right. I've done really well there in the past, you know, being fishing Erie and stuff all the time. But at the same time, man, you can't be too overconfident with it because that's when it's going to turn around and bite you. So I still have to take it very serious. I'm going to spend probably the next 10 days or, you know, soon enough I'll, I'll spend about 10 days up on St. Clair and Erie, just kind of going over stuff and looking for new water and things like that. So 
I feel like my chances are good, but I don't ever want to get comfortable. I mean, there's still a lot of fishing left to do. And being in that classic for next year will sure be pretty sweet. Well, Fletcher, the last time we chatted with you here on Bass Edge Radio, certainly we talked about everything brown, right? Smallies, that was the primary topic of, of conversation. But recently, you've shown your strength uh, in, in shortlining bass. What is it about flipping and pitching that really draws to your preference? Me, personally, I would much rather fish, you know, shallow water largemouth any day of the week. I mean... I've been forced to do well in some of the, I've done well in some of the smallmouth tournaments just because of where I live and we're kind of forced to fish for smallmouth. But really the flipping and pitching deal came about because I live in an area where we don't have a great population of fish. And one of the only ways to really catch them is run around with a flipping stick or a buzz bait basically and try to cover water and catch them. That's just a skill set that I you know, had to learn early on if I even wanted to compete in local tournaments at home. So once I started traveling across the country doing this stuff, I started realizing, hey, there's not laydowns and bushes everywhere, but you can flip this grass. And as long as I could keep a flipping stick in my hand, I was always comfortable. So I just kind of, I've been stubborn with it a lot of times because I have so much confidence and I've just learned to apply the flipping stick in several different applications. And I feel like any time that I feel like I could possibly make a flipping bite work, I always grind it out. And sometimes it bites me, but a lot of times it ends up working out for me. So that's not kind of how it came about. It's just I was forced to, you know, fish that way being from Ohio. And I'm just trying to make it work everywhere else I go. I probably forced the flipping bite more than most, you know, out on out on tour for sure. Well, it seems like it's working really well for you. Let's take a moment to break that down. You know, as we talked about a little bit earlier, the MLF event at Lake Ufala, everybody has now seen what happened on TV and, uh, you whooped them, dude. <laughs> I mean, you had you had an opening round win, the uh, the elimination round. You took the win, and and you ended up fishing, you know, overall in second place in that. And primarily, the pattern you leaned on was flipping and pitching grass. So this is a great technique to talk about. Obviously, we're into July here, and uh, this is a very popular technique from now all the way through the end of fall. So can you kind of break down what you're looking for, your rod and reel? techniques, what you're doing to have success while flipping that kind of matted grass. Yeah, fishing grass can kind of be a complicated thing to start with, especially when there's a lot of grass and different kinds of grass. At Ufala, it was pretty simple in the fact that there was really only hydrilla, but flipping grass can get complicated. And I've spent the last several years really trying to figure out what kind of grass can I flip and what kind of grass can I not? Because if you're flipping the wrong types of grass, obviously, I mean, you're never going to get a bite. So there's been a whole lot of experimenting as to what kind of stuff you can flip, with the little nuances of, you know, what you're looking for within the grass. And not only that, where the grass is located. You know, obviously there's grass in backs of pockets. There's grass out on the points. Every lake is different. And then obviously the type of grass plays a major role. I've seen it to where the fish just like to get in a certain type of grass over another or that's more. They don't really care what kind of grass it is. It depends on more just kind of a location, you know, whether it be on a point or a channel swing or something like that. So there's definitely a lot to grass fishing, and it would be easy for someone that's just starting out. You know, say, they watch that MLF show, and it looks so easy, but there's a lot that kind of goes into it, you know, just a little bit of warning to the guys that want to go out and start to try. But whenever you do figure it out, what I love about grass fishing and you can go a long, long time and never catch one. But typically, and I don't know, you probably noticed this on that show, uh, whenever I won my first elimination round, 
I caught one fish the first period out of grass, and I kept fishing grass all the way around that creek until I came back to that exact spot again, I caught another one. But what I'm saying is there was a bunch of fish in a very short stretch within that grass, and from what I could tell, there wasn't another bass in that grass in that entire creek besides that 150-yard stretch. So once you do figure it out and once you do unlock the code when you're grass fishing, you can get well in a hurry. And I've done that enough to where it's, it's so addictive for me not to do it. So, well, hey, Fletcher, they can burn that point as well. So, on on what you're saying there, you're you're talking to a guy right now that has a lot of experience fishing the wrong grass, right? Okay, so I've got that part mastered. So, if you were to give me advice to try to be more efficient when I do get out there, are there some little like what you talk about those little nuances that can actually kind of you know make that that learning curve that trajectory a lot steeper to get there a lot quicker? Yeah, yeah. The one thing I can definitely say it doesn't matter what type of grass if you start the flipping grass is try to find a place where there's an edge. Don't just drive up in the middle of a grass bed and start dobbing around. You want to find a place most of the time with a hard edge, you know, maybe where there's a ditch. Or if you look on, say, your Lawrence mapping, you'll see where the contour lines are really tight. Uh, a place like that is one of the best places to start looking, whether that's just on a bank, a channel swing, on a point. You really want to find a place with a good, hard-to-find edge in the grass, and that's the best place to start most of the time. And then once you figure out maybe the type of grass they're in on something like that, they may not be relating to the edge. You can start running other areas that have that type of grass. And, you know, one of the big things on your flipping grass, you know, what I was keying in on you fall was the matted vegetation. Um, I haven't had near as much success fishing the stuff submerged. That becomes more of a grass line edge deal than it does become a punching deal. So paying attention to whether that grass is actually just growing up or if it's actually matted. I prefer the matted stuff, especially later in the year, than I do fishing the edges, but both can be very successful. But when I'm just fishing the submerged grass, it's not all the way to the top. You definitely have to be on an edge somewhere. Great advice. Let's talk a little bit real quickly about the actual bite. You know, I grew up on the Potomac River, so I've actually been fortunate enough to be around a lot of milfoil. Now I live in Almastad. We've got lots of hydrilla. So I kind of follow exactly where you're driving this this train right here, and, and I, I really dig it. But one thing that I'd love for you to talk a little bit about is the bite. You know, it's not always just like a dunk. It's not always real prevalent. Um, like a lot of times when you're throwing a Texas rig or crankbait, you know, you really feel a lot of pressure differences or when that fish bites. Can you help explain to the listeners what you're really trying to feel for? Because face it, you're throwing maybe a three quarter or one ounce weight into this, or maybe an ounce and a half weight into this giant thick matted vegetation. And there's already a lot of feel going on and a lot of that feel is not a bite so how do you discern when you're getting a bite and when you're not and, and if you can kind of take us through explaining what that actually feels like for you you know a lot of times over your punch and say with a one ounce and we'll go to that real quick as far as the weight sizes i want to use pretty much the lightest weight that it takes for that bait to fall through that way when i do get a bite i feel like the smallest weight that i can get away with helps my hookup ratio greatly you know i have a lot harder time hooking one with a great big one and a half ounce weight over a three-quarter. But when I'm flipping into that mat, a lot of times what will happen, I want to say half of the time when you flip into that mat, you're just trying to get that bait to fall through the canopy. And a lot of times, I don't know if it's necessarily the bass is sitting directly under that canopy or they come up to get it, but they react quickly. So whenever you flip in there, a lot of times you're thinking the bait's not all the way through because I just picture the bass sitting under there and, and eating it. 
he's not moving. You know, he's basically stuck in that grass as well. There may be some stalks around him. He just eats it and sits still in that grass. And a lot of times you'll just pick up and put tension on them. And most of the time they won't let go. A lot of the bigger fish I catch, I mean, that's one thing I try to tell myself is to let the fish take it for a second. I typically miss and lose the fish that whenever the bait slips into the mat and they eat it and they don't move one way or another and you don't really feel them get it real good, those are the ones that I usually end up missing or losing because they're not turning their head, and whenever you go to pull that big weight, it just kind of pops their mouth open. So whenever you do feel that bite or you put tension on it, and you'll feel them just slightly move. They'll never sit dead still. So when I think I have a bite, I'll just put some tension on the line, and I'll feel them just inch down most of the time. And whenever they start to inch down, I usually try to let them take it for a second before I actually pull. That's a big key. You want that fish to turn its head. You don't want him facing directly at you. You know, as soon as he eats that bait and you jerk, you have a real good chance of missing them. But then there's other times where the bite is just absolutely electrifying to where, you know, I remember distinctly a lot of the bites that I had at Ufala in that event. There was no questioning whether you had a bite. Like, it would scare you when one of them fish got it. For some reason, they were extremely aggressive, and they seemed like they come across the mat to get the bait a lot of times, and I had to be quicker to set the hook because they were moving so far sideways under that grass that by the time I set the hook, I had trouble keeping up with them. So every bite in the grass is different from time to time and time of year. Yeah, it sounds like uh, very, very important to be really in tune with uh, the feel, what your weight feels like, so that you can kind of discern a difference when, you know, a fish actually inhales the lure. So um, that's really good advice, Fletcher. I'll tell you what, we're going to talk a little bit more about flipping grass, flipping a big wave, what conditions make it the right place to do. But first, we're going to take a quick break. Bass Edge Radio will be right back with more in-depth with BASS Elite Angler, Fletcher Shryock. Sign up to become an O'Reilly O-Rewards member today and start earning instantly. O-Rewards members earn $5 back for every $150 they spend, so if you haven't become a member yet, what are you waiting for? It's fast, easy, and free. O-Rewards, it's your road to exclusive offers only at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. See store for details. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Bass Edge Radio brought to you in part by PowerPole returns with pro angler Fletcher Shryock in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil high-performance marine products from real oils to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements. Visit them at lucasoil.com. It works. Fletcher, again, referring back to where we left off before the break there, what conditions make flipping grass right? Does it really matter? Sun, wind, rain? Can you take us through, you know, what you're looking for to to know that, hey, today I want to go flip a big weight in some grass? Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the first things I'm always looking for is cleaner water. If you happen to have, you know, a strong wind the day before in an area that, you you know, you wanted to go flip grass in, you get there and the water's muddy. I'm not saying you can't catch those fish, but it seems to make it a lot more difficult. You want to have that water clarity so those fish can track the bait under the mat. you got to remember it's dark under that mat. You know, visibility is minimum anyway, so whenever you get dirty water, you know, it clouds up their vision. They can't see it. I just think the fish are still there, but they just don't know where your bait's at. They can't find it as good. So finding clean water is obviously a big deal. I have not had as much success flipping grass in wind or waves as well. I feel like a lot of times it needs to be slick and sunny or at least slick because what happens is once the waves start to, you the wind blows and it starts to move that grass around, It'd be kind of like us, you know, staying in a house that the roof was moving on. 
right? So, um, you know, you're <laughs> going like to get out from underneath. <laughs> yeah, it's a bad idea. You want to get out from underneath that roof when the roof feels like it's coming in or it's going up and down. You're getting bumped in the head by it. So I think a lot of times that wind pushes those fish out in front of the grass and around the grass, and they start to roam around more whenever the wind and the waves get on it. So you really want it to be slick, ideally, and ideally for the sun to be out as well because that sun is going to push them fish. Just to get out of the sun, they're going to ease up under them mats, especially mid to late in the day is whenever the prime time for mat flipping really is. As far as grass fishing, another key thing and another thing that's so addictive about it to me, when you do it a bunch, you start to realize that there's opportunity windows and timing windows in which these fish really bite and when they just kind of shut down. You know, it seems to be like a mat flipping bite to me is usually first thing in the morning, which is kind of strange. I haven't exactly figured that out as to why, but it seems like they really bite under the mats first thing in the morning. And there's something about that special noon to three o'clock in the day is whenever you really seem to get the big bites. You know, when a lot of other techniques aren't working from noon to three, you know, before you're ready to go in for weigh-in or whatever, that's a lot of times whenever them big ones bite in the grass. So we know we need, just to kind of briefly summarize, we know we need clear water. That's a preference. We know we don't want the roof moving around and the wind slick, calm. Noon to, to 3 o'clock are certainly the times of day. What about times of year when you're going to, you just know, hey, I'm going to have a big weight on. I'm going to the grass, and I know this is the time of year that I'm probably going to uh, get my best bites. There's several times a year it can be really good, but I can tell you the one time of year that it does not work well at all. And it's something that I've had to learn the hard way, and that's during the spawn. Whenever those fish go to spawn, they don't want to be under that mat. That's whenever you want to look more for holes and stuff in the grass, you know, on the edges or the inside edges. You want to find the sparser stuff and basically fish for bedding fish or fish that are sunning. You know, the mat flipping bite is typically not good once that water reaches just into the 60s, you know, low 60s, 62. Now, if you happen to have a cold front where that pushes them fish back from spawning and it gets the water temp dips back to, say, 55, that can be incredible conditions for mat flipping because you have a ton of fish that are pushed shallow and the cold front kicks them back. And a lot of times under those mats, that's the warmest water they have. you got to kind of think of it as a blanket. Whenever it gets cold out, they're basically, whenever that hydrilla or hyacinth or whatever it may be that creates that mat, it's virtually a blanket for them. It keeps the heat of the water in. Let's say if it's a cold front day, it dips down into the 40s overnight and drops that water temperature. The only thing that will keep that heat in the water to them fish is directly under that mat. And not only that, but the sun also beating down on it, you know, creates heat for those fish. So that's a time to have great success in the mats. Free spawn or cold fronts during the spawn, not so much whenever the fish are spawning. But then after that, I want to say it turns more into a summer deal, you know, mid-summer, late summer, and definitely, you know, in the fall, whenever the fish start to chase bait, they get up in that grass and chase that bait. And then once they stop chasing bait or whatever, they just kind of sit up under those mats. And I personally think that could be one of the best times of the year to catch a bunch of fish out of the matted grass. Great advice right there. You know, obviously there's several lakes with grass, uh, like we saw in Eufaula, Amistad, Gunners, all, all kinds of places, Potomac River, lots of places with grass all throughout the country. But how about, let's help some of those listeners that want to get more into the short lining techniques, which that's kind of my favorite terminology for flipping and pitching because it's just kind of like close combat, right? But looking at some of these lakes that don't have the grass, you know, they're dealing with uh, lay down wood or bushes, you know, those other types of variations when dealing with different types of lakes. What can you help that kind of still relates with flipping grass, but you're going to translate it into flipping wood or bushes as well. 
you know, once again, you know, we go from flipping grass to flipping bushes. But personally, I think there's still a lot to that as well. Just because I've done it so much and I've found, you know, I've had days where I really catch them in bushes and I've had days that I don't. And bushes is kind of the opposite of grass when it comes to water clarity a lot of times. I've caught fish, you know, out of clean water and bushes, but typically I'm trying to find dirtier water whenever I'm fishing bushes. So it's so funny how the two are so drastically different, but yet similar at the same time. I mean, one thing I can say for sure about when you're fishing shallow cover, just like with the grass, the fish tend to relate to specific bushes or specific pieces of wood, especially, say, when the water's high or even when the water's normal. There's just certain bushes or certain types of cover that are much better than the others. For instance, in Ohio, for some reason on some of the lakes, the fish really like pine trees. And it just would happen to me when I would fish local tournaments, I would basically just run pine trees all day because that would be the only way I could catch a limit. You know, I mean, you could catch one out of some of the other types of trees, but whenever really, once you flip and pitch so much of that stuff, you really started to realize that they're related more to the pine than they would anything else. And I'm not saying that pine's always the answer. It might be another type of tree or a bush, but you really have to pay attention to what those fish are using. And sometimes there is no rhyme or reason, but a lot of times there is. All right, that's good stuff. So all those flippers and pitchers out there looking at the wood cover, make sure you're keen on what kind of wood they're coming off of. Um, depth and time of year always playing a big role. But uh, we've had a lot of questions coming into the show uh, for the O'Reilly Auto Parts better parts better prices every day listener question segment so we are going to toss two questions at you today today's first question comes from luke widener and uh luke asks this if you could only have one rod and reel what would you pick and why i prefer a bait caster and to me i would choose an abu garcia combo a 6.3 to 1 gear ratio reel that's pretty well you're in between speeds you could do anything you want to do with a 6.3 to 1 gear ratio a seven foot medium heavy rod with that bait caster i feel like i could almost do any technique out there and make that seven foot medium heavy rod work for just about any technique especially if i was just beginning fishing you know i could throw a pop water frog on that rod I could throw a jig. I could even throw a shaky head on the light line if I wanted to with that seven-foot medium-heavy. So there's no question that would be the one rod. If it was just one, the one rod that I would have. Awesome. That's a great response. And let's see. The second question we have is from Austin. And I'm just going to butcher this name right here. But it's Weirit. Austin Weirit. Austin asks this, Fletcher. I primarily fish small reservoirs in central Indiana that receive a lot of fishing pressure. Most anglers focus on deep points and typical summer areas. So to get away from them, I want to focus more on shallow water throughout the summer. What are certain types of depths, breaks, or other features that I should have in proximity to shallow water versus fishing a cove that's even three or six foot in depth? You know, first off, whenever you're talking about summertime that, you know, on, on some smaller lakes over there, it reminds me of what I kind of grew up fishing or have to fish whenever I go home. And a lot of guys do that. They move out a little bit deeper. There's a ton of pressure. And I like to fish shallow pretty well year round on those lakes because they get less pressure. And when I say shallow, sometimes in the summertime, shallower than what you would think. There's a lot of times whenever I go out fishing and I'm fishing in that, let's say, two to four feet range is my typical shallow comfort zone. And if I go out and I'm having a hard time catching them in two to four foot, I used to always think that I needed to move out deeper. 
But what I've really started to learn over the years, it's not always the case, but sometimes it's even shallower than that. You know, like a foot of water. As shallow as you can get a base, sometimes on the hottest days, those fish don't get the pressure. No one really thinks they're up there. And sometimes those can be the biggest fish that swim in the lake, in my opinion, especially in the dog days of summer, is the ones that are dirt shallow because they don't get any pressure. But another thing whenever you're dealing with high-pressure lakes is always remember to downsize your bait and downsize your line a little bit. Even whenever you're flipping and pitching, I'll downsize to, say, 15-pound test fluorocarbon just to try to get a couple extra bites. And instead of flipping a big creature bait, I might flip a little 4-inch Senko or a small finesse worm or something like that just to try to get those shallow bass to bite, you know, even though they've been under so much pressure. And they may not be real hungry because it's so hot out. You feed them something a little bit smaller, and a lot of times they're going to take that. Wow. Two great responses there, Fletcher, to uh, both Luke and Austin's great questions. Luke and Austin, thanks for sending those in to Bass Edge Radio. But be sure you've got to get us your contact information with mailing address so that we can send out those O'Reilly Auto Parts gift cards. And you can simply do that by logging on to BassEdge.com. Click the Claim Your Prize section, fill out that information, and we will get those on your way. And as always, Bass Edge listeners, keep firing those questions into our email, support at BassEdge.com, or leave us those comments on our Facebook and Twitter media pages. Fletcher, I got to say, I cannot let you go this interview without bringing up your brother's hunter success in the BASS Opens. He's on the verge of potentially qualifying for the 2008 Elite Series with one event to go. What kind of advice have you been providing him, and what does it mean for you if he manages to gain a spot in the 2018 BASS Elite Series field? Yeah, I mean, he's done an incredible job this year so far. He's placed third in both of the uh, Southern Opens so far and given up basically four points out of 200 guys in each event. So I couldn't be more happy for him. He's done a really good job with that. With one event to go at Smith Lake, and uh, I, I think it would be really cool. We've always, you know, since we both started this, which hasn't been that long ago, we've always been a team. You know, we've always helped each other, been over backwards for each other, and helped each other any way we could. It would be very valuable for me and him as well for him to come out on the Elite Series and join me. You know, uh, when you're out here fishing professionally, it's hard to find somebody that you can really trust to bounce ideas off of and share information with. And it would definitely be special for the both of us to be out here, you know, with one common goal and to help each other out. So I know whenever it comes time for that Smith Lake Open, he's pretty well going to be a resident at Smith Lake until that tournament's over. But I think he's probably going to need a top 60 finish, which isn't easy to do. But I think he's definitely going to put the time in to do good in that event. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if he pulls it off and he's fishing with us next year. It'd be pretty cool. Proud of him no matter how it ends up. So. That is definitely pretty cool, and certainly we all know one of the things that is appreciated about the sport of fishing is the camaraderie, and certainly when you get to share that with a sibling uh, or a family member, that even makes it extra special. And speaking of extra special, before we got on the air, you know, we're talking about a pretty cool uh, project that is going to be put out by Hayabusa Hooks that uh, we'll be working on. Fletcher, I know we can count on you to help us out with that, and I think it's something we're not only going to bring a lot of education to, but more importantly, I think it's something that we're going to have a lot of fun with. So anyway, I'll throw that out there. But any closing thoughts or closing comments from you as uh, we begin to shut this thing down? Not really. I just really appreciate you guys having me on the show again. I really appreciate it. Well, that's what happens when you catch a bunch of fish, dude. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> yeah. wants to talk to you. Yes, right. That's all we have to do out here is just catch a little bass. How, how hard can that be? <laughs> everything I mean, comes together. How hard can it be? Exactly. Exactly. It is you funny, though, how you go on little streaks, I guess. And, that, and I've seen that over the years. And whenever you're down and out, you can't do anything right. And when things are rolling, 
good. You can't do anything wrong. You see it with other guys as well, and it's just something that's kind of funny. Not that I've had some crazy success role, but it's better than what it's been, you know, a little bit in the past. So it's just funny how things go in, you know, sessions like that. You've been very consistent, man. It's great to see you're a great guy, great angler, and uh, we're going to keep pushing to uh, see that success keep rolling. So uh, happy for you, no doubt. We are going to send you off with our last little segment, four last questions for you. So uh, you ready for this? Yeah, let's go. All right, this, this is my surprise attack for you. <laughs> so, <laughs> fillet a bass, yes or no? No, never what have, is, never will. All right, what is the last picture you took with your phone? I screenshotted the directions to my dealership at the house. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite fast food restaurant after all these years on the road? Uh, does Chipotle count? It does. You bet. Chipotle is the bomb, without question. Awesome. And what lake do you look forward to competing on the most? Um, that one's a tough one. You know, I, I'm really looking forward to the St. Clair tournament. I just, you know, with catching the big smallmouth and stuff, but sometimes I don't look forward to everything that comes with it whenever the wind blows. So that's right. kind of a tricky question. But I love catching those big smallmouth, and I'm looking forward to fishing St. Clair this year. That's Minus awesome. the wind and the waves. <laughs> <laughs> it's always nice when it's flat out, right? <laughs> yeah, when it's flat, it's the greatest thing ever. But how often does that happen? Yeah. <laughs> Not too often, unfortunately. Man, it's been great having you on the show again, Fletcher. We appreciate you being around, and good luck the rest of the season. Bass Edge Radio is going to return right after this message. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift. PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole. Swift. Silent. Secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. another great interview. I really feel like Fletcher Shryock is turning a corner. The success he's been having, you can tell it's giving him some peace of mind in the confidence game. You know, when we had him on several years ago, we talked a lot about fishing smallmouth, and now he's really picked up this flipping and pitching, which he has before. We know he loves to go down in Florida in the wintertime and all that kind of stuff. And he's really making it work. He's making money doing what he loves to do. And it's great to hear all the awesome tips that he's got to go along with it. Well, it is. And I mean, you know, there's certain guys, obviously, you can look at, you can be around. But Fletcher, for as young as what he is, I still say this, he's beyond his years in maturity. And a lot of these young guys are, I'm telling you. I mean, the next crop that is coming through are just, it's their lights out. But Fletcher in particular, you know, how he breaks things down just like when he was talking about the grass and the clear water and the time of day and it being calm and the roof moving on top and how he he looks and thinks about that and then can relate that back or the bushes right and he's looking for muddier water and those little intricacies like that is why that he is succeeding all across the top levels and also you know you listen to his communication skills that's why the sponsors love him 
because he's very articulate, he's well-spoken, super nice guy, but all around, Kurt, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, I, I like the little lifestyle change you made, too. Uh, you know, I don't really know Rose, but obviously I see her around at the tournaments and stuff like that, and, and um, it's so important that those significant others help and, you know, make a great team. Obviously, I appreciate my wife and everything that she does, and I know that your wife is real important with your work process and business and, and Bass Edge and everything else that we get involved with. So um, that team and that support process is really important. Obviously, Fletcher's taking that to a new level as well with the camping and, and kind of that new lifestyle where he's putting that priority really set on performance. That's right. Yeah, it takes a village. You know, it's that entourage that's around you that often, you know, it's just yourself or Fletcher or the one person that gets recognized when in reality, there's a lot of people, a support system that is, is really driving the train. So unfortunately, speaking of driving the train, it's time to get off at this station because we have concluded episode 259, hard to believe, all the way through July. But uh, we've got a lot of summer left and certainly a lot of great episodes left this year. Be sure to join us in two weeks for episode number 260 on July 15th. Have a great week, everybody. For Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin. We will see you next time right here on Bass Edge Radio. is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com and be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, Lowrance Electronics, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.